0: Hello and welcome to the Middle East Forum's webinar series Israel Insider with Mr. Ashley Perry. I'm Stacey Roman and I will be moderating this discussion today. We are pleased to have Mr. Ashley Perry, advisor to the Middle East Forum's Israel office, join us here each Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern to update us on all the events going on in Israel. Mr. Perry will be giving us a briefing on current Israeli affairs for 10 to 15 minutes, then open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen. We'll do our best to get to all questions, but we have many participants on this webinar, so I apologize in advance if we do not get to yours today. And now, with no further ado, I'll turn the discussion over to Mr. Ashley Perry.
1: Thank you very much, Stacy, and good evening. Um, it's been another tumultuous week in Israel. If last uh, week's uh, buzzword, as I said, was disconnected, there was a feeling of major disconnect uh, between the public and the, uh, uh, political level. Well, Saturday nights saw a major demonstration, thousands of Israelis, some say 10,000, perhaps even more, take to the streets, especially in uh, Tel Aviv's Rabin Square, which is the center for many demonstrations over the years. Uh, basically, the rally was called disconnected and we've had enough. Um, and so we've seen quite a few uh, demonstrations, even strikes over the last week Uh, culminating in one last night outside the prime minister's residence in Jerusalem, uh, which again saw a couple of thousand people, but it descended into violence. Um, Unfortunately, like a lot of these things, um, you know, they they attract certain elements. This one attracted and has attracted, uh, you know, what some describe as an anarchist element, which was just there to cause trouble, to try and uh, embolden a, a, a more aggressive police response. Um, and that's certainly what happened. There were pictures of uh, Israeli journalists being attacked, uh, having their microphones uh, thrown out of their hands. Um, it was just a fairly wild scenes, but what had started as a relatively peaceful, but certainly angry uh, demonstration, just these were the scenes that, um, you know, a, a lot of people who felt very, who feel very agreed by the situation certainly didn't want to see. Uh, They were probably uh, additionally grieved by the fact that uh, not only, you know, for security reasons, separating them from uh, the prime minister's office. Interestingly enough, there was a big black banner put across. So no one in the prime minister's residence would even be able to see the demonstration. And a lot of people felt that this was an example or a paradigm for this disconnect that they don't want to see or hear what's going on. Um, and again, this week, while a lot of people are really angry about the situation, politics continued, the, the angst and the anger and the mistrust between the two leading parties in the coalition, Blue and White and could continued with threats to break up the coalition. Uh, again we hear that uh, if a budget isn't passed by uh, according to coalition agreement the 15th of August, but at least by the end of August then we're automatically going back to elections and a major sticking point again is this point of whether it will be a two-year budget which was written into the coalition agreement and something Prime Minister Netanyahu has long advocated for or a one-year budget because now Prime Minister Netanyahu says uh, with certain uh, economic uh, expertise backing that we need a one uh, year at a time budget because we don't know what 2021 will bring with all this uncertainty uh, enveloping the economic and financial world. Uh, why Benny Gantz is so against it is because uh, in Israeli politics if you don't pass a budget by a certain point we automatically go for elections and as we know that there is this agreement between Benny Gantz and Netanyahu that uh, Benny Gantz will become prime minister in November uh, 2021. So. Gantz and his people certainly feel that uh, Netanyahu is, is preparing a trap uh, to ensure that Gantz will never become prime minister at this date and uh, you know, it will be seen as out of his hands and, and he can blame uh, blue and white for this. So there is no, there doesn't seem to be any common ground. There's been meetings uh, that just really, just uh, really result into shouting matches. And the Benny Gantz, uh, like a number of politicians, is in isolation because they came into contact with someone who has coronavirus. Not that they themselves have it. Uh, they've tested negative, but the rules, the stipulations are in Israel. If you come into contact with someone, then you have to go into 14-day isolation. So there's quite a few politicians who are in isolation at this point. Um, today was a very interesting day. Again, you could argue that the average Israeli citizen was just far removed from this, but there was a debate over you know, uh, every, every government has to have a certain uh, political representation on panels to elect um, uh, justices uh, and also religious justices, as they're called, and even Qadis, for the Muslim world, for the Druze world. And these are actually, they sound relatively unimportant, but they really are very important, especially when the justice system is such a major factor in our political life here. And the dislike uh, for one uh, nominee in particular, Ayelet Sheked, uh, who is uh, you know, with Naftali Bennett in the Yamina party, who is someone that the Netanyahu's, and I say in plural because um, there's a lot of speculation that Netanyahu, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu's wife, Sarah Netanyahu in particular, has great distaste uh, for El Sheked so uh, Netanyahu spent a lot of time with his allies trying to ensure that Ayelet Shaked did not get on this committee and basically threatened his own party and members in his coalition that if they vote for Ayelet Sheked and she gets in, that could be another cause of Spelly to go to elections, which again, is something that the public can't really understand with everything that's going on why this is such an important element. Uh, earlier in the week, we saw something really extraordinary when we saw a member of the Likud basically just to take a step backwards uh, when this government was formed again we were told that this would focus on uh, the coronavirus battling the coronavirus and the economic ramifications that were attendant to this uh, global pandemic and to that end a, a special committee was created in the Knesset called the corona committee which is one that would debate all the steps uh, uh, that would deal with the coronavirus and the economic effects and the shutdowns and the measures etc cetera, etc. Cetera. There was a big debate whether um, uh, swimming pools and um, gyms uh, would be closed again uh, because we've been seeing in Israel the numbers have just got higher and higher <clears throat> so the government is trying to lower them obviously and take certain steps. Uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu and his allies specifically uh, coalition chairman uh, Mikizar. Uh, basically, sent a message to the chairwoman of the committee, uh, Yufat Shasha Biton, that uh, they must not have a vote uh, on uh, keeping the gyms open and the swimming pools open, or at least to ensure that the vote uh, to close passes. In the end, she decided that they would have a vote. She voted to keep them open, and Mickey Zarr, which was caught in, on camera, basically approached her and said, have a nice life, you are finished in politics, you are finished in liquid, and immediately returned to his office and sent a letter to the Knesset chairman, uh, Yorba Levine of his party, uh, recommending that uh, she be replaced within the liquid. In the end, the liquid uh, legal system uh, looked into that and said it was an illegal request, so it's basically decided they're going to try and sidestep her committee and sidetrack her, that they won't put any uh decisions through there. And again, this caused a uh, a lot of resentment, a lot of anger that, you know, that the Knesset, the parliament, the legislature is supposed to uh, be one of those uh, uh, checks and balances on the government. That's the way uh, the system supposed to work. So if it's basically just supposed to be a rubber stamp, then it's not doing its job. But we saw again, uh, a problematic uh, challenge to that very nature of the governmental system uh, in Israel this week. And it caused a lot of uh, anger, a lot of finger pointing across the aisle and within the government again. Um, basically, it's, it's, it's just gone from one sort of crisis uh, to the other. The numbers are going up of coronavirus. The unemployed numbers are rising. The economy is certainly uh, in a lot of trouble. And Netanyahu's um, you know, uh, approval ratings have just gone lower and lower last week. We talked about how he went from 75% approval rating down to, I believe it was 52, 53, 54. Well, now it's much, much lower. There's only around 16% approval rating for the government's handling of this crisis. And Netanyahu is starting to get a lot of flack, uh, even from his base. And I think that's a very important point that should be made, is that his base is, is, uh, you know, those from a lower economic strata, and these are the people who are suffering. know, the self-employed, the small business owners, they're the ones screaming out for help and they're not getting it, even though there was a payment given uh, this week uh, to those those people who are self-employed and small business owners. And Netanyahu himself put out with uh, Finance Minister Katz uh, what was what is supposed to be a a major proposal to help the economy. um, But it's clear that the people are not quite buying into it yet. So we saw today something which Some have characterized as a little bit desperate, where Prime Minister Netanyahu is basically giving every single family between two and three thousand shekels. I guess that's maybe five, six, seven, eight hundred dollars. uh, Something which the finance ministry officials are very much against, something which a lot of financial uh, commentators do not see um, what what it's going to do. And again, the small business owners, the self employed, Floyd are saying, you know, we're screaming out for money, and now they're basically just giving out to everyone, regardless of whether they need it. But what I think this really says is that Netanyahu needs a win. Uh, and I think this is going to be a very short tactical win. It will not last. You know, people will pocket that whenever it reaches uh, our accounts, if it reaches accounts. We've heard these kinds of things before, and they don't necessarily uh, come uh, through. But we... know, it just just speaks to a certain level of desperation uh, on behalf of the Prime Minister and his allies at this point, that this is something that they arrived at very, very quickly. Uh, We've heard from the Health Minister that we are just days away from another complete lockdown. They're probably in the next couple of days going to try and push as much as possible to be uh, closeted uh, without the economy being uh, hurt. But it seems that we are very, very, are getting very, very close to a lockdown as the numbers continue to rise. We've had record uh, numbers of positive infections day after day. Uh, the numbers are starting to go up uh, for those in more serious conditions, those on uh, uh, breathing machines, and the numbers of people who are passing away. It's still relatively low in comparison with other countries. And Netanyahu touted um, uh, a report by the uh, British Financial Times said that Israel is only one of three countries, which I think it was in the OECD, uh, where the numbers of those who died uh, in the preceding months is even lower than it was in 2019. So our numbers for those who have died on a monthly basis have not gone up. But obviously, most of the OECD countries, uh, uh, the US, uh, uh, parts of Europe, et cetera, certainly the numbers have gone up. Uh, but Israel hasn't seen that. Netanyahu is touting that as a, as, a, as, a, as a win, as a victory, as a, a response to his particular policies, but it's certainly not one that's going to make waves uh, in the Israeli public and the Israeli public, which is certainly losing faith in him and his government to deal with this response. Um, and if a budget isn't passed within now a month, maybe five, six weeks at the most, we are going back to elections. And Netanyahu is certainly going to be in a poor place because of it his numbers his poll numbers of his party are going down they're still pretty healthy in the in the 30s but i think we'll we'll see that continue to drop um, so i'm i'm not sure exactly where where that leads us i said last week that there are two schools of thought one that netanyahu does not want elections because the numbers are looking so bad another school of thought uh, which is that he needs elections before Gantz gets uh, into the prime minister's office. So next year will be far, far worse than what we're seeing at the moment. So it's better to take the relatively bad results rather than the very bad results that could uh, happen next year. Um, So it remains to be seen which of those viewpoints uh, wins out. I'm of the school of thought that I still don't necessarily see elections, but I certainly feel that they could happen. I don't rule them out. In Israel, you can never rule those, those types of things out. And this government just does not seem to be able to work together on on almost any issue and there's daily threats. We saw saw in the news before on channel 12 I believe it was Benny Gantz give an interview and I've rarely seen him so agitated and aggressive Um, so obviously he's feeling the heat Um, so it just remains to be seen whether the two parties can really get together and just work uh, for the good of the nation in such a trying time and with that I'm happy to answer your questions.
0: Great, right, thank you so much for the enlightening update as always. First question we have is: How do you think Gantz would do in a new election now that he lost Yeshatid?
1: Um, if he was to be running on his own, uh, blue and white, the polls show him barely getting into double figures. Um, he's not making much of an impact. It doesn't seem um, his support is does seem to be going more to Yeshatid. Uh, to Yale appeared uh, as, as the leader of the opposition. Obviously he's able to strike a, a certain amount of blows to the government uh, amongst a public, which is losing faith in that government. So then uh, those sort of, let's say, center to center left, uh, those who object to what the government is doing can certainly find a voice in Yale appeared where it's far more difficult for Benny Gantz uh, to sort of rail against the government yet remain part of it. Uh, so he's... He's stabilized at sort of 10 to 12 uh, seats at this point. Um, he also has, he mentioned today, that in his sort of, let's say, uh, a block at the moment, he also has uh, a Tzvika house in U.S. Hendel, his party which isn't supposed to pass the, uh, the, uh, the threshold for, for getting into the Knesset, and also even the Labour Party is part of his block. mean, Peretz, which again is, um, Sinking below the threshold, so they 're not going to give him much, um, so cert- he 's certainly not in a good position uh, to go to elections, uh, and he 'll be cut in at least uh, half of his current uh, total
0: Thank you so there's clearly so much going on within the government right now, but is annexation dead
1: it 's not dead, um, but it 's certainly on life support. Um, it is not on the agenda the uh, senior members of the government admitted it uh, this week. they said that it's not on the agenda, it's not on the Americans' agenda. The American administration certainly doesn't have an attention span for this at this, uh, this point. There's been a sort of game that's being played where the Americans are blaming it on blue and white not being on board. And blue and white are sort of happy to take that uh, position as the ones who are blocking it. Uh, but just at the moment, there's no great stomach for it. Um, it will be a hard sell at this point. You know, I've spoken before that I don't believe that Netanyahu will do anything more than the symbolic annexation, and and I certainly hold that to be true. So, I think it would be a hard sell in the middle of this pandemic, in the middle of this unprecedented economic meltdown, uh, for him to to take such a drastic step that would, you know, uh, who knows what ramifications would would come of it. So, I think it's uh, certainly off the agenda at the moment, but obviously you know, what the Israelis feel is that there's a window of opportunity here before uh, the election period, the most intense election period, and then possibly, you know, whether President Trump gets reelected or not, that's certainly a gamble. So the window of opportunity that the Israeli government was always talking about certainly receding by the day. But at the moment, they don't have the attention span for it. I'm not sure if the, the, the general public had the, the stomach fit, even when it was at its height, when everyone was talking about it, Uh, I think only about six to seven percent of Israelis said that this was, you know, a priority for them. And I can imagine that that's sinking greatly. So I don't think that there's much pressure coming from the public and I don't think the, the politicians have much of a stomach for it at the moment.
0: Thank you. Are schools closed for summer and do they plan to reopen and if so, or if they are still open, can you speak to the number of children who have coronavirus?
1: Um, well, the the schools have ended, um, for the lower grades and the kindergartens, they have a summer program at the moment where they're basically in the classrooms frequently with the same teachers, but they're, they're not learning like they were during the year. This is to ensure that parents can get out to work. Um, sometimes at this point you would have to pay for extra, uh, summer, some sort of summer activities for your kids. So they're trying to help those who need to go out and work. Uh, to give them sort of this free uh, summer classes, let's say. But that ends uh, early August. Um, and that's only really, I believe, the second or th- up to second or third grade, maybe even just second grade. I have a son in the second grade, so I know he ha- he's in it, uh, uh, and a and daughter in kindergarten. So they're, they're, they're in that. But above the age of, I think, eight or nine, uh, they're pretty much uh, out of school and there's no summer camps in Israel, there's very little summer activities. Um, Obviously, the cinemas are not open. Many, many things are not open. The the swimming pools are open for the moment. The beaches are open for the moment. But there's talk of closing both of those down uh, in the coming days. As far as September, when the schools return, schools return in Israel September 1st. um, So far, the education minister has said that uh, up up to, I believe, again, third or fourth grade, uh, there'll be classes of up to 20 children at a time. Israeli classes can go from 30, 35, even 40 to a class. Um, And those above that uh, will only go in once a week and have remote learning. Um, So that's what's being talked about at this point in time. But they did say that everything's still open. in Israel, with strikes, with threats from various lobbies, with, you know, with. The situation so much up, and yeah, it could really go either way. So September first is quite a way off. Uh, a lot of people are also talking about the high holy days uh, or the Jewish calendar, which take place only a few weeks later. Whether there'll be a full lockdown for those, as there was for Passover, um, because that could be a major, uh, you know, spread. Because that these are very family-oriented uh, holidays where people travel around the country to visit their children, to visit their parents, friends, loved ones. Uh, so the government's certainly worried about that, but they haven't come out with uh, any regulations at this point for that yet.
0: Thank you. So Netanyahu's being blamed for the effects of the pandemic. What do his critics believe he should have done instead?
1: Well, I, he's not being blamed for the coronavirus. No one's blaming him for starting it. But what, what, what some say is, I, you know, the, the, first, the first wave you know, the, the government responded pretty well, shut down, you know, uh, as much as possible, as early as possible, and we didn't see many deaths. We didn't see that many people seriously uh, ill with the coronavirus, and we did better than probably most countries are, around the world. Uh, what he is being blamed for is not reacting uh, on an economic level, uh, because we saw, up we, we see now still, uh, over 20% of the population uh, unemployed. Before coronavirus it was 4% um, and also the economic assistance you know it's now in the middle of July and only now has an aid, a significant aid package uh, a sort of holistic aid package really being presented it hasn't even been uh, fully passed yet so I think that's what a lot of people are, are, are blaming him for that but as, as I've said for a while and I've seen it in, you know in, in campaigns that I work on around the world that it, it doesn't really matter what Netanyahu would or wouldn't have done. Obviously, they have a certain leeway, but you know there is this uh, idea that a crisis, you know, usually leads to a, a mistrust, a discontent amongst the population. So you look to the leadership, and that's who you tend to blame. Um, so there is a certain level of anger, specifically about Netanyahu. It's coupled with his particular legal troubles, which are ongoing. It's coupled with uh, you know a sort of a fraught society. It's, it's, it's added to the fact that people are out of work, regardless of what he would have done, people who haven't got enough food uh, you know, for themselves. Uh, a, a, a seeming disconnect between the government and the people. You know, when you have senior government ministers say that there's no such thing as hunger in Israel, and then you have the government dealing with issues completely unrelated to coronavirus and spending a lot of time on it, again, with the fact that the Finance Committee, which is supposed to be in charge of you know, dispersing money and deciding on budgets, spent a whole day during one of the worst crises in the history of our country deciding how much tax relief they would give the Prime Minister and how much uh, they would give uh, to cleaning up uh, his home, his private home in Caesarea and how much you know, his lawn would be mowed and, uh, at the expense of the, the, the average person. So I think a lot of these factors, uh, you know, this, as I said, this word, this disconnect has led to really sinking approval ratings for Netanyahu. So there, there's certainly a lot of, uh, you know, discontent and opposition to some of the steps he's taken. Very little has been said about what they would do instead. Uh, for example, there are those who say, you know, just giving out two or three thousand shekels just to every single person in the country is irresponsible. Uh, that should be done to those given and provided to those who need it, not just to everybody. Uh, so there is certainly opposition to that, but uh, very little sort of, you know, holistic plans have been uh, released to to go against what uh, Netanyahu has uh, done at this point.
0: Thank you. So you were talking about the protesters when we first began our webinar, we had quite a few. Uh, viewers join a little late, might have missed out. Can you just reiterate what the causes or the issues that brought the post- protesters out and what have they given any sort of not demands but a demands. softer word?
1: <laughs> I mean, the central demand for a lot of the protesters is well, simply uh, Netanyahu go home, Netanyahu resign, Netanyahu stop being disconnected, Netanyahu help us. You know, there, there are a lot of different causes as we've seen we have seen that, you know, there, there are the general, you know, this is a very difficult time and we're taking to the streets to send a message that we expect more of our government. You know, there's this idea, and we see it around the world that, you know, governments are giving money out and helping people and the government, you know, sort of gives this impression that they're being generous and the people are saying, well, this is our money. We're paying month after month, year after year, specifically for these uh, kind of situations. Again, you can argue, the wider economic uh, uh, ideas behind this, but that's what uh, the people think. Then you get those who are just against Netanyahu, no matter what he does. There are those who, according to him, continue to call on him to resign because he's embroiled in so many criminal uh, investigations. And then there are those anarchists. Even you've seen communist uh, flags out there who are basically just looking to cause any sort of disruption. And I think those are the ones who. Who caused a level of aggression, level of violence uh, yesterday? You could see it, you could see the flags that they were holding, you could see the banners, uh, the wording, what they were shouting. Uh, you know, and then that happens in a lot of places uh, in the West that you get these usually youngsters who are just, you know, sort of looking for trouble. And unfortunately it distracts from uh, what, you know, what, what are supposed to be demonstrations. Uh, really around an issue, but these demonstrations are, are are growing. There's there's call for another one on Saturday night, uh, but at the moment it's been uh, hasn't been allowed by the police. Um, but I think as as uh, as the anger grows, the, the numbers will grow, and uh, and it will be a real test for this government. Yes, so we've certainly
0: seen that here as well. Um, if they do go to the fourth election, who do you think would be in a better position
1: to lead Israel? Well, I, according to the polls, it would still remain Netanyahu because in Israel, you don't have to win outright an election. It's not like in the States or in other places, it's just a first past the post. It's so, you know, a, a presidential or prime minister candidate, one against the other. In Israel, all you have to do is be the largest party in the larger bloc. Generally, there are sort of two blocs the left, secular bloc and the right religious bloc. The right religious bloc has held power for on and off for at least the last four decades, uh, with various exceptions, and the Likud has always been the largest party in that bloc. So the leader of the Likud tends to be the one most likely to put uh, together a coalition. And the next largest party in the right-wing religious bloc is Yamina, Naftali Bennett's party, which at the moment has six seats, but according to the most recent poll could get as many as 14 seats, uh, which, which, which would be a tremendous achievement for him. Uh, obviously, you know, polls are not election results, uh, but 14 is still quite far from uh, Liquid's mid to low 30s. Uh, so if elections happen tomorrow, the likelihood is um, that Netanyahu would still be in a good position to form a government. The crucial thing is would his, he and his allies be able to get that 61? They were not able to last time. That's why he had to invite Benny Gantz. And also Bennett was not brought into this coalition. So although he's an obvious ally, there's a lot of personal animosity there. Could he possibly take his up to 14 seats and look, to, uh, look for a way to you know, push Netanyahu aside? And then there's the all important question, which I believe is always the most important question is whether could. The there would be some sort of internal conflict and enough rebels to sort of try and uh, unseat Netanyahu before, during, or after the elections. I think that's unlikely at this point, but it still remains possible, especially with the fourth election.
0: Do you think that the protest will help push a budget through?
1: I mean, it's, it's, it's not the focus. Um, you know, the budgetary issues are always the most complex in Israel. They brought down probably more governments than anything else. They're the most, you uh, know, controversial, you know, every single sort of uh, line is, is is poured over. And even the fact that we haven't even uh, got to the budget discussions at this point is already a, a bit of a problem. Um, I think that it's no one's interest in no one's interest uh, for a budget not to be written and we go to uh, fourth elections. I think at the moment it is still flexing muscles. You know, I talked many, many months back uh, during coalition negotiations that this is like a game of chicken. And this is another game of chicken that Gantz and Netanyahu are both trying to flex their muscles. Gantz does not want to give Netanyahu another out. Uh, Netanyahu wants that out. Uh, Netanyahu wants his way. Netanyahu wants to remain prime minister for as long as possible, Uh, but at the moment Neither are coming down from, from the tree that they've climbed up. Uh, so it really remains to see how this one will be played out. But I, I, I believe that both eventually will come down. I believe that we will have a budget. or will find some innovation to sort of uh, square that circle between a one and two year budget. Uh, perhaps a one year budget, but something locked in to ensure that Netanyahu doesn't have this escape sort of clause further, uh, further down the line that we talked about before. Uh, but it's certainly going to come down to the why.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much. Unfortunately, we've come to the close of our webinar today. Thank you again for taking the time to update us this week. Uh, please be sure to tune in next week to see what will unfold. On Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern, we'll be having Todd Benzman here discussing drawing lessons from Europe's experience with jihadi border infiltration. Thank you all again for joining us, and I hope you have a wonderful day.
1: Thank you.